As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Everyone, this is the Total Soccer Show. I'm Ryan Bailey. The Champions League group stage has come and gone a bit quicker than usual. And joining me to go through all the continental action with a fine tooth comb is the Tactics Tour de Force, the formation sensation, the XGOG, Sam Tai. Sam, how are you, sir? I'm good. I'm good. That's a that is quite the intro. That's even better than Jack does it on my own podcast. So I appreciate the effort. I really enjoyed writing that this morning. I hope you'd enjoy it. And the I'll XGOG I was particularly pleased with. Yeah, for sure. The formation sensation is pretty good too. Don't 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 derail any of this. This is all ten out of ten. Every part. <laughs> so Sam, it's, uh, we, we we go back a long way um, in the early days of Bleacher Report soccer coverage. I want to say in. 2013-ish. We used to do a lot of videos together. We've hung out a lot. We used to go on Sirius XM together back when they deigned it uh, appropriate for me to have the airwaves over there. Um, and we've also done something very special together. We've had a Nando's together, which is the greatest bond that two friends can have, right? Absolutely. I, I was hoping you were going to mention that because if not, I was going to jump straight in with, and actually we've done something more important than, you know, work together. Um, but yeah, that Nando's, or we've had several Nando's actually. We've had more than one, but uh, every time Ryan drops in, uh, into London, we try, we try and get there, and I'm sure, I'm sure America has heard all about Nando's. I'm sure some of some of America, or they must have Nando's now, right? It's, it's, surely yeah. we've got to that point. I've been to two different Nando's in this country. They seem to be concentrated around DC and sort of Maryland. There's one in Chicago. I thought I went, I've been to one in Chicago and I've been to one in DC. But there's, I've looked at the Nando's USA website and I sort of send them a tweet every now and then saying, "Come to where I live. I want Nando's." Yeah. Do you just go around the country looking for Nando's? Is this one of those Eddie Stobart situations? <laughs> yeah, I do Nando's tours. Yeah, and I take photos and I have a little logbook. It's it's a thing. It's a thing, Sam. Anyway, I, I've got a couple of things to talk about. Um, with you before we get into the action of the Champions League group stage, Sam. Some tweets I've seen from you, particularly this morning. First one, you appear to have a Jack Grealish signed shirt in your possession. How did that come to you? Yeah, rich reward for six years of Jack Grealish propaganda on every medium available to me, audio, video, written, whatever. I also shout at people in the streets when they're not looking uh, to make sure that they're aware that Jack Grealish is one of the most wonderful players. Um, yeah, he's uh, he's a favourite of mine and... 
thanks to his brother, Kevan, who I loosely know uh, over the course of a pandemic, I have managed to order a couple of Aston Villa shirts to to the Grealish family, have them signed and eventually sent back. And uh, and they actually arrived this morning and my fiance got one as well. So they've got a nice little message on them from both. So it's very nice of Jack to do that. It's for my display. It's for my display. Unfortunately, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, my signed Oxlade-Chamberlain shirt, is about to be dethroned. And this is a tough time for Alex, I'm sure, because on the one side of my display, I have Marcus Rashford, MBE, signed, and Grealish is about to replace Ox. So hopefully he doesn't see that and get too upset. You haven't got enough room for all three? Come on. Um, I'll put Ox up somewhere on another different wall. <laughs> but it you means know, I've got to get the nail kit out. You know how there's some sort of modest sort of film stars who put their Oscar in the bathroom in the toilet? Maybe you could do that with Ox or something. That sounds really rude. I won't say that. Anyway, there's, there's another... <laughs> oh, oh, and by the way, did, did you get a, a, a shirt signed by him because he was going to send you shin pads, but he, you know they're too small to get a signature on? Yeah, they put it on the scales at the post office and it came up with just 0.000 kilograms. So didn't register, couldn't send. That's one of my bugbears. And another one of my bugbears, I, I don't know how to approach this, Sam. This is a really difficult topic, but you tweeted this morning that you don't like tea, that it's horrid and that you are, quite rightly, a terrible Englishman. Who hurt you, Sam? What happened here? I mean, at least I'm self-aware. Like, I know that I'm not performing my due diligence as an English person, like I'm aware that I'm a failure of this country, but <laughs> a cup of tea is gross. And look, it's obviously that's frowned upon in England, but I just don't like it at all. Uh, in fact, my tweet was a bit stronger. I said, you know, when you drink a cup of tea, you need a bucket to throw up in afterwards to accompany it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's just not one of my, not one of my things that I like at all. Uh, there, are, I, I don't go against the grain on purpose, but there are definitely quite a few things that I just don't like that everybody else does. Avocado was another. Uh, so, so hang on. Do you drink coffee? Oh yeah. So you drink coffee, but not tea. I'm Correct. trying to get my head around what what, what is yeah. it about tea that offends you? I, re- I really need to get into this because I have I about eight cups a day. I don't know, mate. It's just look, taste buds are different everywhere. I don't know. I mean, I, I drink black coffee with no sugar, so I I, I clearly like uh, my my taste buds swing a certain way. I like ridiculously stinky blue cheese, like really bad stuff. <laughs> I like. Like the craziest, like weirdest strains of mushrooms and dried out mushrooms that other people turn their noses up. And yet just like what would you would consider to be a fairly bland drink, a cup of tea. I, I can't stand. I absolutely can't stand it. I don't know what it is. I can't explain it. But all of our taste buds are different. You're a strange man, Sam, but we love you all the same. Uh, before one, one more thing before we get into the Champions League group stage. What are you up to right now? Can you tell us a little bit more about Ranks FC podcast, please? Yes. So... Well, having worked for Bleach Report for the last eight years or so, uh, there's been some changes at BR on a structural level. And one of those changes was that they have dropped the BR Football Ranks podcast. So myself, Dean and Jack, if any of you have already listened to that or do listen to that on a weekly basis, will know that we've decided to make a go of it on our own independently and relaunch as Ranks FC, which is basically the same thing, but it's ever so slightly different, thanks to the lawyers. Um, <laughs> and we're just carrying on what we love to do. The fav- our favourite part of the week was was creating that podcast together. And we continue to do that on a Wednesday under the form of Ranks FC. And we also have a Patreon. So we, uh, we, we record on Mondays and Fridays as well. So we're up to three episodes a week, which is something we always wanted to do, but we're never allowed to do at Bleach Report. So, you know, we've been given some creative freedom and some license and we're enjoying it. And if you are interested in checking it out, or if there is a reason I can give you to check that out, then we recently interviewed 
uh, future Ballon d'Or winner and US men's national team captain and winner at the 2026 World Cup, Chris Richards. Um, and we got about 40 minutes with Chris and he is oh, he's a wonderful kid. He's really, really nice. He's a great interview. So if you want to get to know Chris Richards just off the back of his first cap for the US national team, then that may be something you are interested in. I leave oh, it to you. I'm sure it will be. And I'm sure his name might come up when we talk about his team later on in this chat. Shall we get to it, Sam? Shall we talk about some Champions League? We've definitely spent way too long not talking about Champions League. So, yeah, let's go. I mean, it's important to talk about Nando's for a couple of minutes, a, a niche restaurant that people don't really uh, have in the US. But uh, I think we'll get to it anyway. Um, rather than going through all 72 games minute by minute, I think we're going to sort of look at some categories here, answer some um, uh, listener questions that have come in. Thank you very much if you sent in a question. Sam, it's been... A strange year in many ways, uh, not least in the Champions League, with this group stage being a little bit more bunched up with games coming week on week. What's your thoughts on the group stage overall? How has it compared to previous group stages? And how have the consecutive match weeks and the fixture pileup that we've seen affected the quality of play? Well, I mean, it's been relentless, hasn't it? Absolutely relentless. Game every three days, back-to-back-to-back match weeks in the Champions League. And then as soon as you think you're free from that, somehow they've managed to cram like four international games into 10 days or something like that. And then you come back into the league and it's Champions League, League, Champions League. It's been ridiculous. And I'll be honest, I haven't enjoyed the Champions League group stage probably as much as I usually do. And I'm sure that that is down to the congestion of the fixtures. I'm sure that that's because you're no longer on a position where, you know, you haven't seen a Champions League game for like 14 to 18 days. And, you know, there's enough time in there for you to get to get really excited about it again. You're quite literally hit with it in the face pretty much every week that runs. Mm. It's been a bit, um, I think I sort of drowned in it a little bit, to be honest with you. There's been a ridiculous amount of football on, which is always great. But certainly my, my fiance has been a bit confused as to why every Tuesday and Wednesday I'm unavailable to do anything but watch the TV. And I think she's it's really starting to grind on her a little bit as well. So thankfully the, the group stage is over for a bit. But in terms of enjoying the Champions League, I think that's definitely affected it. In terms of the actual quality of the play, I'm not so sure it's affected the Champions League play. I think it's probably had a knock-on effect in a domestic football sense. Mm. And that's not necessarily a reference to the fact that up until match day six, Barcelona were perfect in the Champions League and not very good in La Liga. But the the, the, the prioritisation, I think, is across the board is the Champions League is obviously the most important competition. And you're looking at teams like Real Madrid and Man City kind of going along a little bit too slowly in in, in the league. Same for Barcelona, arguably the same for Juventus as well. There's quite a list of teams here that haven't really been that impressive or convincing in league play. And I'm pretty sure it's because they're of prioritisation and because they're, they're definitely looking at those Tuesdays and Wednesdays and getting that done because it's been so hectic. They've kind of got no choice and they can't afford not to be there in February to pick it back up again. Absolutely. And there will be some teams who won't be there in February to pick it back up again. We'll get to that a bit later on as well. Let's talk about the most interesting group, Sam. In my notes, uh, which I was preparing this morning, I selected Group B, which is Real Madrid, uh, Internationale, uh, Gladbach and Shakhtar Donetsk. And I thought Group H as well. Paris Saint-Germain, Man United, uh, RB Leipzig and Istanbul. Those being the two most interesting groups in terms of what happened uh, and what went down. And I noticed that you have picked the two say groups to uh, answer this question. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm completely and utterly with you there. The um, the balanced nature of B with Madrid, Gladbach, Shakhtar and Inter was fantastic. And 
the early results that really sent this one off the cliff, like when Real Madrid got turned over by Shakhtar, like quite convincingly in their own mm. backyard. There was enough intrigue there and enough of an upset early on to kind of tip this group upside down a bit and put everybody on edge, which made every single match day brutally important. Um, and unlike other other groups, like for example, like Group A, uh, you know, with the clear weakest team in Locomotive Moscow and you know, other ones as well, Group D with like Michelin and, and there's a few that just have a very obvious like weak link in. This had none of that, absolutely yeah. none of that at all. And Inter were struggling along. They've had a, a, a relatively bad start to the season. Have obviously picked up in the last couple of weeks. Shatter got that shock against uh, Real Madrid. Real Madrid got that last minute goal against Gladbach. Then it all comes down to the final day. This was amazing. And obviously H was was fantastic. And the only reason it was fantastic is because... Let's face it, like Manchester United lost to Istanbul, Basak Shahir somehow. And that basically opened this entire group out, didn't it? That was the yeah. that was the only point that Istanbul, Basak Shahir actually picked up in this entire group. And had that not happened, I guess United United would have probably made it through this group, to be honest with you. It wouldn't have been such a dire situation. And having beaten Leipzig 5-0 earlier on in the earlier on in the tournament, to have to come down and beat them away from home again to secure qualification. How do you get yourself in that position? So in terms of drama, this was all the way up there. I'd probably take B over H because all four teams were involved to the bitter end. Yeah. But these these were the two standouts, definitely. Definitely so. Now we'll get we'll get back to B in a second, but let's focus in on H for a second as you picked up on Manchester United, you know, who beat PSG on the opening day of this group. And as you say, got a 5-0 win over Leipzig and then end up, you know, having a having a 3-2 loss to them as well. How does how does Man United's journey through this Champions League group work? And we've seen this sort of dynamic of Manchester United games where they start poorly and sort of wake up in the second half. What's happened to Manchester United in this Champions League season? I have no idea. <laughs> I don't know. I really don't. We, look, we have to talk about Man United quite a lot for obvious reasons. And um, on Ranks FC at the moment, we are just sort of trying to dodge the subject because... No matter what you say about them, good or bad, they'll basically make you look foolish the other way in the next possible game. Mm. You also can't really take their last game as a foreshadow of anything that they might be likely to do in the next two games. Like it, None of it makes sense. You can't judge them on a game-to-game basis. You can't judge them on a half-to-half basis. They create some fantastic moments, which has led to about you know a good portion of my Twitter timeline renaming them to Individual Moments FC. Um, and they just call them that now. They don't call them Manchester United. They're called Individual Moments FC. And that is a simultaneous slight on Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and his relatively poor coaching, I would say, in terms of setting up a team and yeah. game planning. And also praise for someone like you know Bruno Fernandes, who can just click his fingers and decide, yeah, I'm going to win this game for my team. And that is kind of how it works, isn't it? And even to the very end in that Leipzig game, they were battered for like 70 minutes. They were 3-0 down, and yet we got to a point in the 85th minute where I and I don't even remember how it happened. It's all gone foggy. But they were they got two goals. They got like a very strange penalty decision. Then they got a second goal. We were like, hang on a minute, they're gonna draw this. What the hell? How are they how on earth are they gonna manage this? They are an absolute mystery. An absolute mystery. How do you go from 5-0 against Leipzig and scoring some of the goals that they did so, and Marcus Rashford playing as he did, to that defensive sequence against Basak Zahir, I'm sure you remember it when Demba Bar was, he dribbled like 60 yards through on goal and scored. Yeah. Unchallenged. No one was even on the halfway line to defend 
the lone striker. I don't understand how these two things are the same team. I just don't get it at all. I can't explain it. Yeah, so for that last match day of Manchester United when they went 3-0 down, my father-in-law is a diehard Man United fan and I was texting him, oh, I hope your Thursday evenings are free coming up soon. And then they go three, and it was 3-2 and I was like, oh, I'm going to have a really embarrassing uh, need to rescind this text message very soon. But thankful, well, no, thankfully for me, not thankfully for him, it held out. Um, RB Leipzig said in that group as well, pretty, looking pretty strong, showing that there is life after Timo Werner. Um, we've got a question here from Daniel Cervantes. How, how far can RB Leipzig make it in this this year's Champions League. Can they possibly make it all the way to the finals and have a showdown with current holders Bayern? Mm. I think yes. I, I, I genuinely believe that they can. Um, they've got a fantastic manager and they've got a fantastic crop of players. The manager is tactically very intelligent and can produce very confusing game plans, but they work. Uh, what we saw against Atletico Madrid, what they rolled out against Atletico Madrid in the um, in the July games with the weird... 4-2-3-1, but it wasn't because it was more of a 3-5-2. But it wasn't because it was more of something else with Conrad Lima playing centre midfield and right wing back simultaneously, which is kind of what Amadou Haidara is doing right now um, in his role. They are just curious and weird enough to basically pull the wool over enough teams' eyes to get all the way. And not to mention they have the quality and they have the manager as well. So yeah. They lost Timo Werner, but they've got they've got a serious, serious team of players here. They bought Danny Olmo in January, probably knowing that Timo Werner was going to go. And Amadou Haidara has come through. Ibrahim Konate is back. Angelino is unreal. Like, he's yeah. so good. He's one of the best left-backs in the world, I think, probably. I love your pronunciation just, there, by the way. That was lovely. Which is, Do that again. Thank you. Angelino. Love it. Lovely. I'm sure he loves it too. <laughs> I don't, is that actually how you... It's probably how you say it, right? I mean, he's Spanish and he... Is that makes G? perfect yeah, sense yeah. to me, yeah, but I, I don't think I can pull it off. It makes sense, but um, <laughs> yeah, they're, they're an amazing team. And we just watched them go toe-to-toe with Bayern Munich at the weekend and, yeah. and draw 3-3 and play really, really well. And they play the right type of football to get the better of quite a lot of teams. So I I, I would pick Leipzig as a dark horse if, if they even qualify as a dark horse right now. Mm. Well, given that 3-3 draw with Bayern at the weekend, I would love to see that as a final. And obviously the last all-German final, what was it, 2013, when we had Dortmund against Bayern. Yeah. That was a pretty spectacular event as well. So I'd, I'd certainly uh, would look forward to that. That's, that's some good positive encouragement for Ebi Leipzig. For, let's see, I can do funny accents too, Sam. There you go. Um, so so let's, let's jump back to Group B, if you don't mind, with... Uh, Inter Milan, you touched on them a second ago. They are doing not bad in, in, in domestically, second in Serie A. I believe the only game they've lost domestically since July is the Milan derby. What happened here? Is it just a, a weak squad? Is it is it something Antonio Conte did? Well, Conte and European football don't really get on, do they, uh, just to, to begin with? But from memory, and obviously I've watched a lot of Champions League, so I'm just trying to file through the banks here. But what I do have is a resounding image in my mind of... 90th minute goal line things happening to Inter Milan. Have you noticed this over the course of the... Yes. Over the course... I mean, like last night with Lukaku getting in the way of Alexis Sanchez's goal-bound header that would have <laughs> won them the game and put them through was really funny. And I do have sympathy for him because you're never going to ask him to get out of the way because football happens so goddamn fast. It's also just kind of unlucky because if he was one yard to the right, he'd be in the correct predator's position to pick up uh, to pick up the pieces. But that was... I feel like when they played in match day one, this this happened again. Like Lukaku was there scoring in the 90th minute, having they've conceded in the 84th. It was just sometimes football's 
weird margins swing so violently. And over the course of a very, very short, a small sample size of six games in the Champions League ga- uh, group stage, you could just fall on the wrong end of them sometimes. I'm just trying to look through their, um, through their results here. They lost. Um, I watched the game when they lost to Madrid away. And to be fair, they were defensively shambolic. Yeah. Hakimi played a hospital pass through and completely screwed his team over. Um they were absolutely rubbish in the return leg against Real Madrid at home. Absolutely, but that was during their absolute peak wobble that they had about a month ago. Yeah, and yeah, I think I think they just kind of Inter have confused me all season long because they don't. For the first time ever, I can't really define an Antonio Conte football team as anything in particular. I can't say it's this, that, or the other. He always has a very clear blueprint and template and personality to his team and I haven't been able to put my finger on what that's been over the course of the first two months of this season and that's probably reflected in their Champions League results which are just all over the place and the performances are all over the place and they always end with 90th minute dramas on the goal line which kind of just sums up their campaign beautifully it was a wreck but it was a beautiful wreck and they've just fallen out of a tough group you know ultimately a game that Shakhtar won at Real Madrid that you would never expect them to has essentially cost them quite dearly. Uh, you know they've got to, they've got to win their own games, but they've been all over the place. Yeah, and credit to Shakhtar doing well, even if they're not in a group with Manchester City, which is which is their comfort blanket in most seasons. Uh, why don't we move over to breakthrough player Sam um, uh, Raghav Gupta asking who was the standout player from an unknown team? Uh, I'm going to interpret an unknown team as maybe a team that's not top five league, maybe. Yeah, maybe if so. Um, I mean, from like, Salzburg were a lot of fun. Yep. They were a lot of fun here. And they've got some really good players, as they almost always do. Obviously, last year, we watched Erling Haaland and we watched uh, Takumi Minamino play really well. And this year, they've got a, another new crop of players. Um, Enoch Mwepu is would be my pick, even though the Twitter logic would be that you take Dominic Zobozlai here, who is just uh, a wonderful dead ball uh, and free kick taker and mm. strikes strikes a mean strike, doesn't he? But his overall influence on games doesn't always come through. And he's not the assertive playmaker, the dominant playmaker that I think maybe his Twitter highlights would suggest that he is. Well, he sounds perfect lo- for Arsenal then, Sam. <laughs> yes. Not quite as good as people think he is. Perfect. Send him to Arsenal. Um, yeah, I think I think he probably needs to stick around a little bit longer. I think there's still there's, there's, there are layers being added to his game by Jesse Marsh that need to be added before he makes a move. Although, I, to be honest, if I had to put money on it, I'd say he probably does move too early in January anyway. But there is another midfielder who plays on the right side of their 4-4-2 because Jobasai plays on the left, but he's more of a central midfielder. And Wepu plays on the right, again, much more of a central midfielder. Doesn't stop running incredibly tenacious hoovers up the ground has an amazing passing range an amazing ability to swivel out of danger just technically brilliant physically brilliant and I would say Mwepu was 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 excellent in most games that I watched and is ready for a big move like he could play for a top four team no problem Good endorsement. So if there, if, quite often there is a player in the Champions League group stage who sort of makes a few headlines and gets gets on the transfer back pages. It seems like it's Zobosly, who is that man at the moment, who's been linked with Arsenal and also mm. with Real Madrid, I believe. Yes. Is, is he is he going to be the one who gets the big money or do you think it will be Mwepu or, or someone else? No, I mean, I would say it's probably going to be Zobosly. I mean, I th- I'm pretty sure Marsh has already said that he expects him to leave. And I've definitely seen re- reports of a 22-ish million release clause, which is peanuts in, in today's game, isn't it? So, so mm. um, even if you don't want to start 
him immediately and make him a key component of your team, it's ultimately probably going to be a case of, well, we should buy him before someone else does. And if he needs six months to adapt and get get into into his groove, no problem. We can we can stomach that. So yeah, it will probably be be Zobersdai and he has incredible highlight reels. So that helps. That always does help. But I'd say there are a couple of players at, at Salzburg that are more ready overall, but also he's a different type of player to them anyway. Look forward to seeing him beside Granite Xhaka and all the uh, joy that will Please that will bring. don't do that to me. <laughs> Please. I really like Jobberslai. Really like him. Don't do that. Next category, Sam. Biggest winners <laughs> in the Champions League. Uh, by, by points, it will be Bayern Munich and Manchester City with both five wins and a draw. But for you, who was the biggest winner out of this competition thus far? I mean, yeah, if you take it away from literally points, then I've got, I've got to say Gladbach because... Mm. I think I think I'm right in saying that this is the first time they've ever reached the knockout stages of the Champions League. And sounds right. I mean, yeah, I mean you can see the players huddled around someone's iPhone at the end of the game. Did you see when they were watching the yeah. the, the dying embers of Inter versus Shakhtar? They watched Alexis Sanchez head the ball against Lukaku <laughs> and they were celebrating. That's really special. And look, that group was so evenly poised and if you just measured the club the clubs on paper strength, then obviously Gladbach are third or fourth in terms of on-paper strength. They're not as good as Inter or Real Madrid when you measure them player by player. So they've upset the odds to get through and it happens to be a landmark moment for the club in this competition, which to me makes them the biggest winners. Very good, very good. Well, why don't we talk a bit about Bayern Munich while we're in this category, who are the obviously the holders and the favourites to be winners uh, in this competition this year. A question from Sam, uh, Sean Hardgrove. Looking ahead to the next round, who would be the most challenging draw for Bayern? Who would you like to see him come up against? Who would, who would give him the, the sternest competition, Sam? Well, this is the beauty of, one, winning the group, and then two, the fact that you can't draw... Atletico Madrid because you've just been in a group with them mm. and the other quite convincing team actually is probably Leipzig and they can't draw them either because they're also German so in the round of 16 they're looking at Porto Sevilla Lazio Barcelona or Atalanta now usually Barcelona would be a bit of a red flag there but we'd be kidding ourselves if we think that that's like a genuine problem draw for Bayern Munich at this stage mm. based on what we've seen over the course of 2020 and I think the toughest the toughest draw here is Atalanta. I think um I saw another question as well about, you know, who can who can push Bayern Munich, who can realistically stop them. It was John Hayden, wasn't it, there, who can who's asking about, you know, who matches up quite well with with Bayern Munich. And yeah. Atalanta are one of those teams. I think the team that matches up well against Bayern is the team that is brave enough and willing to attack them and go at them. Because yeah, Bayern are a machine and they don't tend to lose games but you've seen exactly the same as what I've seen over the last four months yet yeah, they always win but you know they leak chances they play with that really high line they play with high pressure and when you can squeeze through they end up relying on Manuel Neuer quite a lot and particularly without Alfonso Davies pace Neuer's been pulled into action more and more over the course of the last two months and against Salzburg in the groups they were very very lucky to win that game Mm. Like Salzburg battered them for a full first half and missed chance after chance after chance. And Manuel Neuer came to the rescue over and over. This is a team that if you are brave enough to fight fire with fire and to attack them and to go at them and to play directly into them, you can 
you, you, I mean, you have to take your chances, obviously. And the problem is that these teams are not taking their chances when they're playing this way. And the final result, maybe the scoreline sometimes doesn't quite tell the whole story. But if you do have a clinical night and you're willing to, to, to go at their throats, you can beat them. So Atalanta is one of those teams. Leipzig is one of those teams. Liverpool is definitely one of those teams. And I have to, I have to presume that PSG are still that team because that final was close. And PSG just missed all their chances. So those are four teams for me, to answer John's question, that are built in the right way and attack in the fearless way that can hurt Bayern. Thank you for both those questions. I'll, I'll, I'll throw one more name into the mix. You did mention it there, Sam. Porto, could they be a sleeper? I mean, technically they were they were seeded in pot one and were technically the top team of a group which had Manchester City in it. They did sell a few players in the summer, and you know, they, but they still held their own pretty well. How would they match up with someone like Bayern? I worry that it sounds a bit odd, doesn't it? Because Porto have been pretty solid uh, in the groups in terms of goals conceded and stuff. They've really they've really turned up. Um, they've been pretty obstinate and difficult to beat. Um, the less said about their domestic campaign, actually, the, is the better. They've definitely turned up for the Champions League nights in line with what we were talking about earlier. Mm. I do think that Porto probably lack. They probably don't quite play in the, in the right cutthroat way to really put Bayern under pressure. And when you try to grind through games against Bayern and when you try to sort of manage the game and try to nullify them first and then sort of, you know, pick out your own chances when you can, you you just don't win that game. That, that Bayern win that game every time. So I think, I think syst- systematically they kind of match up a little bit poorly and look, Porto have done really well to get out of the group. They almost always get out of the group like 75% of the time they qualify for the round of 16, which is great. But they don't often get much further because ultimately it's a lack of elite quality starts to hold them back when they really hit the big boys. And talking about the big boys, or maybe not talking about the big boys, why don't we talk about the biggest losers? Uh, when I was thinking about this category, Sam, I was thinking about some like Manchester United who we've touched on, but also Marseille, who you know have Andre Villas Boas, who you know looked like they'd strengthened their squad a little bit over the summer as well. But finishing bottom of that group, we just talked about with with Porto and having just just the solitary win. I was pretty disappointed in in their turnout. Well, who 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 was the biggest losers for you? Yeah, Marseille were terrible, weren't they? I mean, it's not just like you look at the table. It's like, oh, well, you didn't play very well and you lost five out of six games and you only got three points. That's obviously rubbish. And then you look at the actual results as well. Right? Lost 1-0 to Olympiacos, lost 3-0 to City, lost 3-0 to Porto, lost 2-0 to Porto. Then they won a game randomly. That was odd. And then they lost 3-0 to Man City. Not only did they lose five games, they failed to score in five games, Right. Minus 11 goal difference. I'm going to flick through the table to see if there's a worse one. Yeah, Ferenc Varos are minus 12. So for a team of Marseille's calibre and with the players they have at their disposal and the history as well and the expectation, to do marginally better than Ferenc Varos is that's embarrassing, man. Mm. Like that, that group as well, it's not like they got given, you know... Gladbach, Inter and Real Madrid, is it? It's like they got given some gains there that should have been like closer and should have probably brought them some points. They didn't get a single point off Olympiacos, man. <laughs> oh no, they did, sorry. They beat they beat they beat Olympiacos. They didn't get a single point off Porto. Like yeah. and they lost one they lost one to Olympiacos. It's just so it's so poor. Marseille were were really bad. There are teams in the in the group stages that you don't expect anything from. Like Locomotive Moscow, like happy to be there, you know? Mm. Michelin, pleased, pleased to be around. Zenit, you're not expecting that much. Ferenc Varos, just happy to get on the plane. But Marseille, come on. 
I think um, something went wrong with AVB's uh, PowerPoint presentations in Marseille. That's all I can figure for that one. Um, yeah, I mean, he tried to take the pressure off himself by suggesting that um, football should retire the number 10 shirt across the board when uh, yeah. Diego Maradona passed. Do you remember that? As like, Andre, that is, take. first of all, that is insane. And second of all, don't make, don't think that for one second that has meant that I haven't noticed that your team didn't score in five of six games. <laughs> if we're retiring the number 10 shirt then we're retiring uh, Jude Bellingham's Birmingham shirt across the game as well I think that's what we have to do <laughs> yeah well you see Birmingham City have closed their academy now yeah <laughs> so they've retired they've retired Bellingham's shirt and just closed the academy well, hilarious quite an impact quite an impact so that's the biggest losers well I suppose we we add into their can we add in Manchester United and Internationale as the two other main losers? So, yeah, I mean, in, there's a case for Inter as a loser, obviously, and it's a really, it's a clear case. And if you if you think that, fine, whatever. But I, I, I'm I seeing it as a win from an extremely selfish perspective because I predicted Inter to win the Scudetto this year and this only enhances their chances, surely. I mean, they don't have to leave the country to play a game of football now until at least next August. <laughs> so so this is great this is perfect for Conte he can just he can just smash through the league and Scudetto wins Sam wins everyone wins <laughs> apart from all the other Serie A teams of course yeah um <laughs> <laughs> All right, Sam, we're, this, is, this is great stuff. We're going to talk about the, the star players, the biggest surprises, maybe even the best game of the competition so far. But right now, we're going to take a quick break to uh, talk to some of our sponsors, talk through some of our sponsors. First, a message from our friend, Paul Tenorio. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep. You heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Today's episode of the Total Soccer Show is sponsored by Hims. 66% of men lose their hair by age 35. Once you've noticed your hair is thinning, it can be too late. And the best way to prevent more hair loss is to do something about it while you still 
have some. Hims is helping guys be the best version of themselves with licensed medical providers and FDA-approved products to help treat hair loss. No snake oil pills or gas station counter supplements. Once again, don't buy any medical supplies at a gas station. Prescription solutions here are backed by science. Hims was created by a guy who knows some men's health conversations are easier online than in person, so there's no more awkward in-person doctor's visits or long pharmacy line. For Hims connects you to licensed medical professionals online, which could save you hours. It's completely confidential and completely discreet. You just answer a few questions, a professional medical review will follow, and if they determine it's right for you, they can prescribe you medication to treat hair loss that is shipped directly to your door. Today, Hims is giving you their best offer yet. If you're not happy with your results after 90 days, Hims will give you a full refund. And right now, TSS listeners can get their first absolutely free, their first visit absolutely free. To go to 4hims.com, that's F-O-R-H-I-M-S.com slash Total Soccer. That's 4hims.com slash Total Soccer to get your first visit absolutely free. Prescription products require an online consultation with a healthcare provider who will determine if a prescription is appropriate. Restrictions apply. See website for full details and safety information. Remember, that's 4hims.com slash totalsoccer. Thank you very much to 4hims.com for sponsoring today's show. All right, Sam, Champions League group stages. Let's get back to it. Why don't we talk about the star player? Who's been the standout player for you in this group stage so far? If we're going to look at goal scorers, uh, the uh, top top tier of goal scorers, all with six goals, Neymar, uh, Marcus Rashford, uh, the person who has donated a shirt to your wall, of course, uh, and Erling Haaland and Avara Morata, and Juan Cuadrado with five assists so far. Do any of those players make your star player ranking? Oh, yeah, I mean... First of all, shouts out Morata for scoring potentially more disallowed goals than allowed goals. I mean, <laughs> if it wasn't for VAR, Morata would be on about 12. Absolutely. Um, he's it was a hat-trick, wasn't it? He got the hat-trick in this one. He got a hat-trick of disallowed yeah. goals. Yeah, it was really funny. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, Neymar's produced some some moments in games that have been just jaw-dropping. Absolutely jaw-dropping. Um, obviously, there was one against Manchester United where he was like, no, no, I'm going to win this game. And he was just like, yeah. Here we go. I'm gonna I'm gonna win this game for us, and he and he and he did so. And obviously, he has the capability to do that. So he has been a true star. The one that's really impressed me to keep coming back to Gladbach is Alisson Player, and you know the the chat around Gladbach is often about either the talented young manager they have in Marco Rose, or maybe you know Marcus Turam. Don't know if you've heard, but he's the son of uh, former footballer Lillian Turam. Is that right? Every now and then it comes up. Yeah, <laughs> but Alisson Player has been awesome. Absolutely awesome. And he's got the production to back it up as well. Five goals for himself and I think three assists as well. VAR robbed him of a hat-trick at one stage, I think. And he's been like continually effective. And the fact that Gladbach have managed to get through into the round of 16 is is very much on it's a lot to do with him. Uh, as much as much as much to do with him as, as Turam or Rose or any other any of the other feel-good factors around Gladbach. So he's a bit of a rogue pick. But if you want the, the headline pick, I'd take Neymar and player as my actual pick. I thought, yeah, Neymar was maybe because of recency bias in that he's pretty good in that Istanbul game. Um, do you think he's got got what it takes this season to go all the way? They came so close, of course, last season. Yeah, I mean, I think I think PSG is a team are weaker than they were last season. Uh, it's probably not groundbreaking for me to say that they've had some 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 cash issues in 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 the coronavirus pandemic, and you know the summer business they did was a bit crap wasn't it? I mean, ultimately, they did. <laughs> I, I, PSG are not a team that... 
maybe it's the balance they needed, but obviously there's an argument that, that they they found the balance last year with Idrissa Ganagay, but they've got even more workmanlike and the fullbacks were a problem in June and July and they're even more of a problem now. Um, I know he's been playing okay, but I'm not the biggest fan of Alessandro Florenzi. And yeah, I just think as a team, they're weaker. So if Neymar is going to drag them through along with Mbappe, then he needs to do even more than he did in June and July. And let's not joke, like, he was incredible all the way up until the final, wasn't he? I know he mm. missed his... He kind of screwed the pooch in the final. Um, and so did Mbappe. But up until that point, he was amazing. So yeah, he has the opportunity and, and he has the potential to do that. But it will be even harder because PSG feel worse. Yeah. Um, one other player we haven't really... Sp- we haven't spoken about Borussia Dortmund really so far. And uh, uh, Erling Haaland. I keep trying to call him Alfinger Haaland. I've got to try and get that out of my head. And another <laughs> player with a famous dad comes up once again. Um what, what do you think about Borussia Dortmund's chances of going through top of Group F? And is Erling Haaland, could this be, I mean, it's, it sounds very cliche and cheesy to say, but, you know, could this be his continental breakout this competition this year? Well, I don't trust Dortmund. I just, I struggle, I really struggle with them. Um, they continually let me down. Every time I try and back them to to get over the hill, to to, to make an impact in a big game, to, to make the step or make the leap that they need to, they just, they don't do it. And, I've given up predicting that Dortmund will shock you or 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 make the next step or mm. yeah, it's just it's, I find it really hard to trust them. They can look really Lucy good Favre for six issues, weeks. Sam, is that what it is? I don't know if it's Favre, if it's just the the fact that we're all so desperate for them to do well because we want someone other than Bayern to win the league. Obviously, other than Bayern fans and apologies, it's not that I hate Bayern; it's just, it's boring. It's the same reason I want Inter to win the Scudetto. I'm bored of Juve winning it. Um, <laughs> You know, we're so desperate for change, uh, for excitement, for a team to step up and, uh, you know, and stick it to Bayern that we maybe we maybe are guilty of overinflating what Dortmund are and, and, and the level of quality they have in our desperation to build them up into a contender. And I feel like I've probably screwed myself over a little bit of that in the past. And I have ultimately, I've decided I will never predict Dortmund to win a trophy ever again until they actually win one and prove that they can do it because I've just been burned too many times. So let me put this question to you then, Sam. You know, Dortmund have got a lot of talent, obviously, with Haaland, with, uh, you know, a lot of great English players, with uh, Bellingham, with Sancho, with Gio Reyna, which we have established on this show is definitely (laughs) English, born in England. There's no question about that. Um, If they were coached by, say, Pochettino, you'd have a lot more faith in them. You'd have a lot more faith in the weapons they have, right? Um... I don't know if that's necessarily the case. I don't have that much of a problem with Lucien Favre. Like, I, re- I really don't. I think the age balance of the squad is off. And I think there's a there's a kind of ingrained sense of, not failure, failure is the wrong word, but I'm sure you know what I mean. Like, we're not being able to live up to the big occasion and get over the line. And when they absolutely have to win this match, that they win it. So that that kind of, almost that like, that crunch time DNA, they just don't have it. And, it's it's in, it's in the players, it's kind of in the club, and it's probably in the age balance in that there are so many kids. It's just an army of children, isn't it? Dressed in yellow. <laughs> and like from one perspective, you can't really blame them for not having like the cojones to really pull through on the big stage. Even if you want them to, they're probably not going to do it. So yeah, I think it's, 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 it's less to do with Favre, to be honest. It's, 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 I think it's the rest of it. 
An army of children dressed in yellow. That's my favourite description <laughs> of Brucey Dortmund I've heard thus far. Good job. They're big children, by the way. Harlan's a big boy. <laughs> he's a very big boy. You don't want to get in his way, particularly when he's celebrating and nearly decapitating people. No. Um, the biggest surprise so far, the biggest surprise of the Champions League group stage. I've got a couple of contenders here. Well, we've got the fact that, you know, all the German... And I think Spanish teams went through, but not all the English teams went through. Maybe that's not a surprise. Maybe the biggest surprise for me, Sam, is Barcelona, as you mentioned on the top of the show, the divergent nature of their domestic form and the fact that they were up until this uh, last match day, as you mentioned, uh, they had a perfect record. Um, the the theory sort of I would posit to you is that when Barca play against sort of less expansive teams who sit in a low block, like they you know faced with Cadiz at the weekend, they don't, they don't have any answers. But when they're on the Champions League stage and things are a bit more free-flowing and their opposition are a bit more willing to go forward a bit, that's when they can shine. Is that logical? Uh, there's probably some truth in that. I think there's, there's also truth in the fact that Dynamo Kiev and Ferenc Varos aren't very good. Um, <laughs> and they just happened to meet Juventus when Juve were not very good either. Mm. And then, you know, correspondingly... Juve met Barca on match day six when they weren't very good. Basically, what I'm trying to say is this group ain't very good. <laughs> like Juve have had their problems early this season. First couple of months under Pirlo have been a bit rocky. Um, the first game that they played against Sampdoria was really good. And then it was suddenly just not very good. Um, struggling to score the goals, struggling to win games. Like They drew quite a lot. And Juve were, they started pretty cold. And Barca probably took advantage of that. Then played Kiev and Ferenc Veros twice, who aren't very good. Mm. And then it was their turn to be rubbish at the end. I'm sorry that that's not particularly expertise analysis. And it's, uh, I've used the word crap and rubbish a lot. But I just, I don't look at Juve and Barca and think, yeah, you're serious contenders for this Champions League right now. Not in their current form. I uh, I had a big prediction when uh, Barcelona went to Kiev um, when they were in poor form. I think they'd lost that weekend prior. And I was like, you know, bet your house on the fact that Barcelona got a difficult trip to Ukraine. They're going to lose this one. 4-0 to Barcelona with uh, Des getting the first goal there. So don't let, don't trust me for any predictions. Um, and any other big surprises for you, Sam? Um, yeah, a negative one. I cannot believe that Wren were as bad as they were. This was a real surprise to me. Um, again, not necessarily asking them to get through in, in the top two in Group E with Chelsea and Sevilla and Krasnodar. Yeah. But on paper, they're definitely, definitely better than Krasnodar. And you know, Ren came into this, uh, had a really good campaign last year um, and come into, this, come into this, this, this campaign and they've made some good signings and they've got some really impressive players like Hamari Troyore at right back is really good. You've got, you know, you're looking at Mawasa at left wing back, very good. Terrier, I'm a big fan of. Kamavinga is obviously the, the starlet in there. And it just, I don't know, I don't know exactly why it hasn't caught fire. I mean, I know Rafinha and Edouard Mendy are very good, but this good to make them look this bad because they've been poor in Liga as well. Their, their form over the last four, uh, four or five weeks has been really, really bad. And I just thought that Ren would put up more of a fight, to be honest with you. So I was really disappointed. Ending up with one point, you know, four points behind Krasnodar, missing out on the Europa League. Like If Ren were actually in form, they, were, they are a team that drops into the Europa League and you pinpoint them and go, yeah, you... Salzburg, you're the kind of teams here that could genuinely, if things run right for you, win the Europa League. And yet they were not even in it. They finished bottom with one point and I was really disappointed in that. Is it wrong that I'd forgotten that Ren were in this competition until you just said their name? Well, it's about it's fitting though because they didn't show up. <laughs> well, if I'm not mistaken, this is their first time in the group stage. So could we give them a pass for being rubbish given that they're, they're inexperienced at this level? Yeah, if you want. I'm still going to be disappointed in you. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs>
<laughs> All right, well, let's go from disappointment to uh, surprise and joy. The best game of the Champions League group stage. Have you got any nominees for this, Sam? Yeah, Leipzig Man United was pretty good, wasn't it? <laughs> Not the 5 0, the 3 2. The 3 2, um, yeah. That was carnage, man. I really enjoyed that. Sometimes great games just absolutely grip you, don't they? And this was mm. one of them. Um, and we've obviously spent a little bit of time talking about that. So another one I loved, which I briefly mentioned earlier, was was Bayern Munich against Salzburg. And that was one of the games in which Wepu was was superb. Uh, one of the games in which Dobberslai actually missed not a half open goal, but it was like it was a one on one that he definitely definitely should have scored. And not only did he miss it, he like hit it like forty yards over the bar. I don't, you know, when you, sometimes you try and hit it too well and it, it goes into space, it's one of those. Um, so, yeah, that uh, Bayern versus Salzburg. Manuel Neuer was at his absolute best there and mm. uh, they turned it round at the end after being battered for the first half. So, I mean, to be honest with you, I think there's a there's a common theme between those two games, Leipzig and Salzburg. It's it's the football that the, the Red Bull teams seem to play. I don't know, man. It just I, It just speaks to me and it just seems to generate really exciting games and matchups. Yeah, those were definitely great games. If I can add one, maybe, uh, I'm, I'm, as you say, there's been a lot of games, 72 games. And the, the Real Madrid into Milan, the first one back in November uh, in, in Madrid, That was that the drunkest game of the, uh, <laughs> of the group so the far? Three, is that the 3-2? Three, the 3-2. Three, yeah, my goodness me. Yeah, that was a lot of fun, wasn't it? With the, yeah. the Hakimi back pass that I mentioned earlier and Benzema stealing in and stuff. That was, yeah, that was a lot of fun. And v- didn't Vinicius score within like 12 seconds of coming on? Uh, I think that was the... That, I'm not sure that was that game. Uh, oh, was it the other one? Is it yeah. the, they're, they're kind of merging. Um, yeah. <laughs> any, anything from Group B is all good. Yeah, well, <laughs> Madrid, that same night, actually, was Gladbach getting the 6-0 over Donetsk in which uh, your boy Plie got his hat-trick as well. So that was a, that was a strong night. Yeah, um, it was a very strong night indeed. That was a good one. <laughs> Although I was kind of pulling for into there, so I wasn't necessarily enjoying it that much. All right. Let's move on to a listener question, Sam, from Austin Janicki. Should the Champions League switch to permanent single-fixture elimination... And why is the answer yes? Asked Austin. <laughs> I would, I would, uh, I, I'm, I'm backing the vibe here from Austin because I, I love the way it was single elimination last year. Um, the MLS playoffs as well have been single, single elimination this year and last year as well. I'm all for it. How do you feel, Sam? So there's a quite an important logistical question there, which is if you top the group, then do you get the home leg and that's it? The first leg is the home leg, and it the the the, the, the group toppers they they play at home, right? Yeah. Okay, sure. and then what what happens in the quarters? Who gets home advantage in the quarters? Random draw. Random draw. That's what we're <laughs> that's what we're going with. We're going with random draw. Well what done, you Ryan. You've, well done, Ryan. You've ruined the Champions League. <laughs> <laughs> Neutral venue. I don't know. Put it. Put them all in Lisbon again. I don't know. I don't know. I guess that's probably a, a, an issue that needs ironing out. But look, I absolutely loved the single knockout format. It was incredible. It made it feel like a World Cup, and I I, I loved every single second of it. The truth is, I also adore the the double legs and and the home and away factor because it just gives me more Champions League knockout stage football. I'm not in the business of trying to remove Champions League knockout stage football from my calendar because it's my favourite bit of the sport and my favourite my favourite part of my calendar. So I don't want to half the number of games I get to watch. So no, I'm not in favour of it. Although I definitely understand why people see that see it that way because it was so good. Yeah, and also it might be quite useful in this season of seasons, Sam, with the fixture pileup we're already having. And when we look forward, when we look to next year in February and March and, and how fatigued and injured certain squads may be, single elimination might be more appropriate this season, right? 
Yes, quite possibly. As a as a one off, I'd say it's probably a it would be justified this season for sure. I'm sure Jurgen Klopp is banging that drum as we speak. Uh, yeah. By the way, they do, do any early kickoffs for him as well. He wouldn't like. Yeah. That. Oh, by the way, as you notice that in the deadest, rubberest, dead of rubber, dead rubber, Jurgen Klopp started Fabinho and Salah against Michelin. <laughs> what are you doing, mate? Come on. <laughs> also, Pep made no subs against Fulham. Not a single one. I that don't was interesting. To, don't listen to a word they say about congestion and fitness don't listen to it so we've, you mentioned uh, Liverpool and Manchester City there that segs nicely into a question the big question I suppose looking forward from the group stage who gonna win it Sam I think uh, Bayern <laughs> Munich are the current favourites Manchester City if I'm not mistaken a second and then Liverpool third if you if you go by what the bookmakers say how are you feeling at the moment I know it's a it's a very dangerous game to predict at this point and the best team doesn't always win this competition of course but um, where, where does your instinct lay yeah, I don't usually. I usually refuse to answer this question until February. Um, but you know, it's that's that's me being horrible. So how about I just lighten up for a second? <laughs> I thought you were just um, going to stop there and leave it. <laughs> no, I nearly did. I nearly did. Um, I usually refuse to answer, but I mean, it's boring, isn't it? But it's very difficult to see past Bayern right now. Um, although the news that City are above Liverpool in the bookies' odds would surprise me a little bit because. I'd probably put I think Liverpool is that just residual the... because they've been the favourites in the past couple of years? Is it is that maybe why City they're not necessarily because <sighs> of form? God, I don't know. But if I if it was a if it was in a straight knockout game right now and I had to pick one to one to survive, I, I'd take Liverpool over Man City for sure. Um and I think I think, yeah, some of the teams we talked about earlier with with I think Leipzig are genuinely like a top five contender here. And um since the four 0 bashing Atletico received at the hands of Bayern Munich, they've actually been Pretty sensational, uh, newly balanced. There's a big test for them uh, coming up at the weekend in the Madrid derby against Real. Uh, but Atletico have been absolutely amazing for the last mm. 10 games or so. And I'm starting to look at them and, and putting them in my in my cluster of teams as well. So officially I go Bayern, but I've got Liverpool, Leipzig and Atletico as the, as the, as the next ones down that are in this little bracket of this could happen. PSG? Nah. I, again, it's like I just... I don't believe in that team. I think the overall quality of the team is is going to be let down. And yeah, Neymar might absolutely like God mode it and just go crazy. Uh, but he's going to have to do that like six times. It might just be too much for one man. Maybe so. Uh, I concur with you with Bayern and certainly the selection of teams you pick there. Uh, Atletio like uh, as a pick as well. And I was thinking more about the outsiders. Could you even throw Chelsea in there, given yeah, the I, random would... nature of a knockout competition? What do you What do you think? Yeah, I mean, if you're then going into an, into selecting a team from from the next tier down, um, it probably is Chelsea. The on paper quality is is astonishing, and the formula they sort of stumbled across is really really working. What Chelsea need to work need to hope for in the next six months is that the formula they've stumbled on that's working right now continues to work because if they're asked to come up with another one, it could take them several months and that will see them knocked out. So yeah, if it, if it lies, if it lays properly for them, then I'd say Chelsea are probably a dark horse there. They're they're definitely in the next tier down. Um, But yeah, I I don't, I, 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 I'd count them in that, in that area. I mean, I would rule out teams like Barcelona, Borussia Dortmund, Lazio, Sevilla, and Porto, but I would not rule out Chelsea. Mm, still in the mix. I like it. A uh, question here from Javier Zavaleta. Interesting. Um, uh, American most likely to win the Champions League aside from um, uh, Chris Richards and Bayern Munich. Your interviewee, Chris Richards, that is. Um, so I think we're looking at perhaps 
Man City with Zach Steffen or Juventus with McKenney? Yeah, probably. Um, I like, I'm liking what McKenney's doing for, for Juve and not just the scissor kicks. Um, he's playing really well for Juve when he gets given the chance. And I think he might have just, he may have just won a, won a role in midfield just on mm. merit at this point. And that's really, that's really pleasing to see. Big fan of Weston. And I was very surprised he got a move as high as Juve up the tree. I thought maybe go to Southampton for a year or something like that. And that would, that would work really well. But he shot up the tree and he looks like he belongs. So that's cool. I don't actually believe that Juve can win the Champions League this year. Um, unless Pirlo changes a lot in the next three months, which is obviously that can happen. Um, so I'd probably say Zach Steffen is the most likely, which is pretty rubbish as an answer because he won't play a minute, will he? Well, he did play a, more than a few minutes in, in this group stage, to be fair. He won't play another minute. <laughs> fair <laughs> enough. I guess he'll still get the medal, though, at this point. Yeah, right? of course he will. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, Sam. I've got one more for you before we let you head off into the sunset. Um, this is an interesting one from Ryan Mock, who says, how would this US men's national team do in the Champions League, hypothetically speaking? And he adds, and why would they win it? Oh, what is this? <laughs> what is the, why do TSS listeners always put a little addendum on the end of the question like that? Why would they win it? And why, why, why it. is the answer yes? Is this a Taylor thing? It's probably a Taylor <laughs> thing. I blame Taylor. Um, oh, mate, I don't know. Help me out. I think they wouldn't win it. Okay, uh, to, be, to be harsh about it, <laughs> but I don't think they would. I think they'd. I think they probably go through to the knockout rounds. Is that fair? Given the given the strength on the roster right now, it's probably about fair. I mean, the the thing is, the best eleven on paper for for the U.S. men's national team is still very new to each other, isn't it? In terms mm. of in senior terms, there's a good vein of familiarity running through it with the under twenty, under twenty one players like Dest and Chris Richards and. And all those guys, but yeah, actually pushing this this group together, they've only really had a, a one camp together. So, in terms of cohesion, you'd be thinking they probably fall a little bit short when it when push comes to shove, and that would probably be around around a sixteen stage. Mm, yeah, and may, maybe the most appropriate way to ask this question, Sam, is to ask it again in twenty twenty six, when, as you say, the US uh, will be um, World Cup champions, right? Yeah, I'm really leaning into that one because um, I keep I keep being told it. And if you're told something enough times, you just start to believe it. So Taylor says it constantly. Alexis Guerrero says it constantly. Jimmy Conrad says it constantly. So I believe it. Must be true if everyone's saying it. As we've learned in politics this year, Sam, if you say something enough, it becomes true, right? That's correct. Absolutely. So congratulations, <laughs> USA, on their 2026 World Cup win. Thank you very much for all the listener questions that come in. By the way, I did say Javier Zabaleta's name was interesting. I wasn't being rude. It was because I thought it said Zabaleta and I got confused for a second there. That's why I said that. I mean, um, but yeah, it sounded like the love child of two famous Argentine right backs. That was I mean, what I was I just... thinking. There's some fallback energy in that name. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, Sam, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Can we give one more plug for Ranks FC, please? Yes, of course. Myself, Dean and Jack, former BR Football Ranks, now uh, rebadged as Ranks FC. Independent venture. Would appreciate anybody who comes along for the ride if you are interested. If you do have room for another podcast alongside TSS, that is. And um, if there is something I can sucker you in with, it is that we have interviewed the lovely Chris Richards uh, last week. So that may be of interest to you. Wonderful stuff. I'm sure it will be. Sam, once again, an absolute pleasure. I love you. I look forward to our next Nando's meeting. Thank you. Me too, buddy.